0: This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation.
1: Thank you for downloading the webinars podcast from Byte Size Bio, the missing manual for bioscientists. The full version of this webinar can be viewed by navigating to bitesizebio.com slash webinars and clicking on the name of the sponsor, which can be found in the list on the right hand side of the page. Hello. This is Martin Wilson welcoming you to this Bite Size BioWeb Seminar, which today is sponsored by Leica Microsystems. Leica Microsystems develops and manufactures microscopes and scientific instruments for the analysis of microstructures and nanostructures. Widely recognized for optical precision and innovative technology, the company is one of the market leaders in compound and stereo microscopy, digital microscopy, confocal laser scanning and super-resolution microscopy with related imaging systems, electron microscopy sample preparation, and surgical microscopy. Today's presentation is titled Precise and Lightning-Fast Spectral Fluorescence Lifetime Imaging at Video Rate Integrated in a High-End Confocal Microscope, and is being presented by Kees Jalink, a professor at the Netherlands Cancer Institute. Kees Jalink studied biology, biophysics and archeology span at Leiden University. He did his PhD at the NKI, where he discovered that the lipid metabolite lysophosphatidate doubles as a GPCR agonist, opening up a new field. He went on to do a postdoc in the labs of Drs. Roger Sein and Charles Zucker, both at San Diego, California, working on phototransduction and participating in the FRET assays that were pioneered at the time. In 1998, he took a position as group leader at the NKI, where he has focused on all aspects of FRET ever since. The lab is most famous for contributing various FRET sensors, for developing FRET and flim instrumentation and paradigms, and for applying that technology to learn about cells. Case has a long history of collaborating and advising industry, in particular in microscopy and pharmacological screening. CASE loves new technology, inside and outside the lab, and spends every free hour building new setups and tinkering with electronics. The Yalink Laboratory is a specialized fret lab that has been involved with that technique for a long time. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the right-hand side of your screen, and I'll put them to CASE at the end. The recording of the webinar will be available at bit.ly forward slash fastflim. So now over to you, case for the presentation.
0: Okay, um, thanks uh, for having me. My name is Kees um and as uh, explained, I'm going to tell you about the, uh, the Leica confocal Flim system, the Falcon, uh, from the point of view of a FRED lab. And my talk will uh, roughly consider the following parts. Uh, I will first give you an introduction on threat and person's lifetime imaging. Then I'll tell you about some of the inner workings of the falcon, some of the nuts and bolts. Then go right into uh, flimaging the cells and with special emphasis on signaling dynamics. And then I'll tell you a little story about uh, flim sensors, specialized sensors made for, for flim uh, recording. Towards the end I will tell you, give you a couple of tips and tricks uh, explain if the flexibility of this system and then uh, in the end the lifetime screening and organoids that we are at the moment really very enthusiastic about. But first of all, why would you want to do FET? Well, as you all know, the resolution of the light microscope is limited by the so-called point spread function, which means you can't discriminate individual molecules or their interactions. And this is too bad because that's exactly what makes life in a living cell. Now, one of the ways to get around that is by doing FRED. And I'll briefly explain that So, assume you have two proteins, one uh, labeled with a, uh, let's say, cyan fluorescent protein, so one fluorophore. Another one labeled with a yellow fluorescent protein, and I'll use those examples throughout my talk, right? So the spectrum, excitation and emission spectrum of the so-called donor are over here, and then a little bit red shifted, you see the um, excitation and emission spectrum of the acceptor. Now, if you bring those molecules really very closely together, so they actually have to touch, and then you excite the CFP, then the excited state energy can hop over to the acceptor, which then shows so-called sensitized emission. Alright? So, uh, and this happens only when the molecules are within a very few nanometers of distance, there's a very sharp distance dependence of threat. Other things that are important, there should be spectral overlap between the uh, donor emission and the acceptor uh, excitation spectrum. There are some requirements on 404 orientation and on 404 uh, properties. Um, I I think FRET is a marvelous tool because not only can we use it for protein protein interactions like I just explained to you but also for protein conformation in single living cells if i would tag a single protein with a CFP on the end and a YFP on the C terminus and it would change shape then the distance will change and i can actually read that out by FRET in an equally sensitive manner and the third group of applications is as a readout for so called biosensors now biosensors are genetically encoded constructs that we made to spy on cellular signals. They could be second messengers, metabolites, phosphorylation status of proteins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Hundreds of different possibilities there are. To uh, give you an example, this is our uh, one of our own probes. That's the uh, EPAC probe for cyclic AMP. It consists of the EPAC molecule that, when it binds to cyclic AMP, changes shape and the distance between CNN terminus becomes bigger. So tagged with CFP and YFP, you actually lose FRET. You get less sensitized emission and more of the donor emission. And you can record that and then plot that as a ratio. Now, if you want to use uh, FRET for readout in biosensors, there are some important considerations. First of all, you're dealing with living cells. You want to image them for a prolonged time and you, want, you don't want to hurt them. So you have to balance between a minimal excitation and a maximal readout frequency. And most often, threat, uh, or ratio imaging is chosen for that um, because it's very uh, sensitive uh, and uh, because it's very easy, you can easily get high enough frequency readout. So this means that also the sensors have traditionally been optimized for ratio readout. For example, our EPOC sensor, we we spent almost 10 years optimizing it, playing with the donor and the acceptor moieties, with the linkers uh, in there. So we have literally hundreds of different fluorophores in here, but also playing with double acceptors, uh, acceptor orientation, etc. Of course, also paying attention to maturation, affinity, speed, etc. So in the end, we got some pretty impressive uh, threat sensors that give you a two and a half volt ratio change. But when we wanted to use those for screening uh, applications, the results were always kind of disappointing. And that is because ratio imaging, it's fast, it's photon efficient, and it has very simple hardware, but it simply is not quantitative. You get these lab-to-lab variations, uh, for example, if you have another microscope, then I, you have different filters and you simply cut out another ratio. It's also sensitive to dye bleaching and to the shortcomings of microscopes like shading and chromatic aberrations, etc. Et so it's hard to do screening. There's another way of detecting threat and that is using fluorescence lifetime imaging. Uh, let me explain that in just uh, a few uh, slides. So, if you would excite a bunch of fluorophores with a single, very short pulse of laser light, they de- the emission of the dyes decays exponentially towards zero in a matter of a few nanoseconds. And this is a characteristic property of the dye. It's not dependent on the intensity or the concentration or whatever, the excitation power, whatever. So this is a characteristic property of the dye. Um, and how does that read out? Fred, well, because in the presence of an acceptor, the lifetime always becomes shorter. And this is nice because there is a, a, a linear relationship between lifetime and threat efficiency. And because this is a donor-only measurement, you are insensitive to bleaching, to dye leak, to excitation, to the choice of your filter tubes and so on. So this is a true quantitative measure of, uh, of threat. And you can imagine, of course, that it is very hard to read out because it's it concerns fractions of a nanosecond. So you need complicated setup like on a confocal, typically time-correlated single photon counting. What you do here is you excite with a bunch of laser pulses and you look at the responses, individual photon responses, as a result of this excitation. Then you measure all the distances between these and you plot those in a histogram. And that recuperates the lifetime of your molecule now it is important that you never ever get more than one photon after a single pulse because then the system will detect the first pulse and ignore the, the second pulse and you're basically uh, biasing against uh, against longer lifetimes in your measurements so you have to um, be at most at about one photon in every twenty pulses and this concerns for the brightest pixels in your image, right? Because otherwise you start to get biased results. You create an image out of this by doing this for each and every pixel and then fitting the decay and plotting that as a pseudo-color, and voila you have your image. Now this has been the the gold standard for lifetime. It's very very precise measurement but it really is way too slow for fast live cell work or for screening because it can take up to hundreds of seconds for, for a good image. So if I compare then um, lifetime versus ratio, we see that lifetime has favorable properties like being quantitative, immune to all the artifacts, and one in one related to threat efficiency. But it is slow or even horribly slow, um, there's another faster lifetime measurement, frequency domain measurement, that is very photon inefficient. You need a lot of dedicated complex hardware and you really must be some, something of an expert user or otherwise your measurements simply go wrong. So in all, no screening. And I think that that is going to change now with this new system from Leica, the SP8 Falcon. So what they do is a, sort of a brute force, I suppose approach. So here you see the um, 80 megahertz train of laser pulses that come from the white light laser and you see the individual photon responses. And now they simply sample that at an amazingly high speed at 10 gigahertz continuous sampling. Um, so if I zoom in a little bit between any two of those laser pulses, there's about 12 and a half nanosecond time, which means there is 125 individual samples in this little time slot, and that is enough time resolution to see the difference between one and two or three uh, photons. Zooming in even further, um, here you see that a single photon event lasts about one and a half nanoseconds. So the detector needs about one and a half nanoseconds to handle this individual photon. So in this um, single uh, um, 12 and a half nanosecond uh, interval, um, we can reliably resolve with the speed that we have um, between two photons that are resolved individually, and then we can count them both if we want, or to ones that are overlapping, and in that case, we just throw them away both. And this means that we can count reliably at speeds, i say up to, but actually sometimes in excess of one count per pulse. Um, and there's another even more important um, property here, that is... You are no longer uh, obliged to adjust your intensity to the brightest pixel, because in the brightest pixel, right, you will have some overlapping photons. You just throw them away. You have enough signal anyhow. So in all, this makes the system about 30 to 100 times faster than the systems, the TCSPC systems we previously had in our uh, lab. So over the last uh, nine or ten months or so, we have collaborated with Leica, did some alpha and beta testing, um, did some suggestions for the software, and of course the first thing you want to know is, is it accurate? And I can tell you, yes, it's that accurate. The Falcon lifetimes just correspond exactly to the ones we measure with DCSPC for a number of dice in solution. And of course, with a machine like this, recording of a fluorescent uh, image of a lifetime image from a cell is simply is, is really very fast, right? So here you see neuroblastoma cells expressing CFPPH and YFPPH, or, um, or in these cells, um, there's CFPPH alone. And um, they should give FRET at the plasma membrane, but not so much where it is expressed in the cytosol. And this is the result. As you see, you see that there is a lot of FRET, so a short lifetime, a lot of FRET. At the plasma membrane and in some of those internal vesicles but not in the cytosol and also not in these control cells. Here I simply overlay this FRET image with the intensity information from the CFP and you get a really I think awesome confocal FLIM image in just one second and based on about thousand photons per pixel. The software to do that is really intuitive. Um, You can uh, visualize side by side intensity information, lifetime information, of one or two or three channels of FLIM simultaneously. If you want, you have um, a histogram of the pixel FLIM um, um, values. You have decay information in there. Um, you, you can also uh, combine FLIM channels arbitrarily with up to four channels of normal intensity information. Uh, you, can, you can count with all channels to up to 80 megahertz individually. And then, of course, there is an extensive set of analysis software, for example regions of interest, um, fitting of decays, also tail-fitting like you're used for, for uh, advanced FLIM setup, but also uh, a, a wizard that will give you flat efficiency and even percentage of molecules that are binding. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. What I think is one of the really cool uh, features of this new development is that now all the intensity and the FLIM data as well as all the analysis that you do are present in the same live file so there's no more synchronisation with with other software in in the data folders and so on. Um, so just a couple of examples. Here are three individual dyes. So these are. this looks like a color picture, but they are actually different lifetimes in a single cell. These are fixed keratinocytes that we loaded with just three different anti- antibodies. And uh, did a sequential um, FLIM imaging. And you see, you know, the type of resolution that you would expect from a confocal. And of course, you can also use all the confocal Properties like you can zoom into an image, you can rotate your image, you can change the format to all formats, um, combine x, y, z, time, but also um, emission scan and uh, excitation scan uh, information, all in a single instrument. Um, with the high speed of this instrument, we can now survey lots and lots of cells. Here I show you a 4k by 4k confocal life, uh, time image that is made a, again of cells expressing our epoch sensor and we stimulated those cells and then 10 minutes later um, the response of at least some of the cells started going towards the baseline again so th- those are the blue cells and you see this is about 250 cells I can image here in just 19 seconds at the same time if I just take a take a crop out of these images you can see the type of confocal resolution that you are used for confocal we also have plenty of speed to do signaling and there's no better way to show that than just go into calcium signaling so these cells are HeLa cells that I loaded with a calcium dye or a green bapta one and this particular dye gives a uh, intensity difference when it binds to calcium but also a very nice lifetime difference and so then I stimulated them with histamine basically at this point and LPA later on and imaged lifetime at uh, about four frames per second 256 squared uh, at 470 nanometers so here I stimulate you see basically all cells respond lifetime changes completely and you already start to appreciate now that you can see individually the different responses of the cells so some oscillate fast others somewhat slower and yet other cells don't oscillate at all looking at the intensity information you can see that for these two and a half thousand flint images that i took here you know you get about 20 percent bleaching over time so it's hard to really uh, compare what's happening in here but the lifetime, as I explained to you, is completely insensitive to bleaching. So we have plenty of speed to do fast time-lapse images. And um, uh, in the next slide then, I will um, go into uh, some of the fat sensor details. So after, at the end here, I still do the calibration. So I go into uh, um, a little bit uh, the sensors that we apply. I told you that we optimized them for ratio imaging, in the end came out on m 2 an excellent uh, CFP variant made by the Hadella lab uh, as a donor, and a tandem of uh, circular permutation Venus as acceptor. And so this gives a, an awesome ratio change, but if you think about it, for FLIM actually you do not need a bright acceptor. So what we did here, is we applied the trick that was introduced by Fred Wouters a while ago, and that is introduce those point mutants in both of the Venus versions to make sure they cannot emit, emit any light. So they can still work as a FRET acceptor, but they don't make any light. You see that over here. So this is the spectrum of CFP, the spectrum of this dark acceptor FRET probe of ours, and these are just two other FRET constructs that you would normally use. And the big advantage here is that you can now take a much wider part of the uh, of the donor spectrum without being afraid that you are measuring part of the acceptor, because there is no acceptor in this probe. And another advantage is it, this now frees this part of the spectrum so that you can uh, potentially put uh, another FRET probe in the same cell. So look at this. Awesome, I think. Uh, with response with uh, with these uh, cells. So these are again HeLa cells expressing now this dark acceptor cell. We image them at one frame per second. And we have also loaded them with uh, caged cyclic AMP. Now this is a compound that if you flash UV on it, the cage breaks apart and it liberates cyclic AMP. So what you get is an immediate release of cyclic AMP in these cells. And that then is degraded by phosphodiesterases in the cell uh, within a matter of uh, maybe 100 seconds or something like that. I give two big flashes, then two small flashes of UV light again, then a big flash of UV light, and then in the end I do a calibration with ibmx and foscodin. I think this nicely shows the power of of this FLIM time-lapse imaging. This will be ideal for all kinds of systems biology experiments doing perturbation screening but also looking in detail at the dynamics of GPCRs and and, uh, characterizing inhibitors and activators. Um, This dark acceptor now also allows us to do two FRET probes in one cell, and that's an example i show you over here in the movie. It shows uh, cells loaded with uh, a red calcium indicator. In this case it's called ROT1, red shifted calcium indicator. Um, as well as expressing our EPAC sensor and you see that when we stimulate those cells with isoproterenol, you get an increase in cyclic AMP and not so much effect on the calcium and then when we add a calcium ionophore calcium goes up but as a consequence now actually cyclic AMP seems to be broken down faster and this makes sense because there is a class of phosphodiesterases that is actually calcium activated. So this type of um, setups allow you to study the interaction of individual signal transduction pathways. In the next uh, couple of slides I want to give you some uh, of, uh, insight in the flexibility now of this system. Um, for example here for maximum speed I'm just pooling the three photon counting detectors that we have on our system. So this is the spectrum here of a calcium dye. Um, and I just make the individual detection windows such that they nicely uh, sh- uh, divide up the photons that come from the cells. So you have to slide a little bit until the count rates are all about 80 megahertz or something. And with this setup you could uh, for a long time sustain count rates that are at 200 megahertz or even higher in the peak. With this you get the highest possible speed and I here give you a list of things that uh, we were able to uh, achieve uh, along with the number of counts that, uh, um, uh, that each pixel then had. So using my resonance scanner for example with 128 uh, squared images I could achieve 73 frames per second and this is really fast enough for anything you would ever want to measure. The second um, thing about flexibility, you have to realize that the lifetime Information is basically orthogonal to intensity information, so and spectral information. So if uh, the system allows me to co-express two CFP variants, one is an NLS tag and turquoise, which has a lifetime of about 3.9 nanoseconds, and the other one is CFP pH of about 2.4 nanoseconds. They look the same and their spectra are the same, but in the lifetime images we can easily say them apart because the lifetimes are completely different as you see and so basically with three lifetime channels we have up to three extra channels on our confocal we could do something like eight uh, simultaneous uh, dice in a single cell easily with this technique then i want to say of course i focused on fret because we are fat lab but there are many other applications of flim uh, for, ex- um, for example, uh, many probes are known that are environmentally sensitive. Here, I show you the results of a ruthenium doped nanoparticle that was uh, used together with Colette McDonald in Dublin. Um, so, these um, ruthenium complexes are actually oxygen sensitive, and we can transfect them into individual cells and then change the uh, oxygen concentration in the medium. And you can see that the inside of the cell follows that but not in a really linear uh, manner. So there are pH probes, uh, lifetime probes, there are temperature probes, there are lipid probes, too much to, to really uh, all enumerate them. And of course then as a last slide on flexibility, you can arbitrarily um, combine the the FLIM uh, channels with anything else that you have on your confocal. Here I show a combination of FLIM, but like this is the lifetime of, a, of just a bunch of old cells that I had. And then within this box I um, bleached, photo bleached the acceptor which means there is no fret anymore in here and you can see that you get uh, an increase in lifetime just in this region. So you can combine these commodities, all these modalities uh, you can also combine, for example, FLIM with uh, sensitized emission or ratio imaging. This is ideal for our probe uh, development things. But you can also do stitching, you can use the navigator, um, you can do the LAPTA scans, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Now, I also promised you some uh, data on screening and that's what I want to show right now. So, what we did here is uh, make stable cell lines expressing our cyclic AMP probe then put them in a multi-well plate and do various knockdown constructs in each well. And so then we image, in this case, about three positions in each well, in each well. Um, we get about in between 100 and 400 cells per condition. And the total acquisition of that only takes us about um, three minutes. Um, that includes, you know, refocusing and etc. And then you get the information, that's the intensity image and you get the lifetime image. Now based on the intensity image, we do automatic segmentation. We do this outside the software in image A in the lab. And then you apply those uh, masks on the FLIM image and simply calculate mean lifetimes in each and every cell, giving you, I think, awesome results. This is the baseline condition um, uh, in the control cells and you see the mean lifetime is 1.94 nanoseconds with just a spread of 0.12 nanoseconds. So these are really nice data to work with. Let's see whether we can find any differences with the knockdown constructs, and yes, indeed. Um, if I look at G alpha i, a protein that's known to affect cyclic ANP concentrations, um, you can see that the lifetime in G alpha i1 knockdowns, but not in G alpha 2 uh, knockdowns actually increases um, um, by about 0.2 nanoseconds or so. So concluding this, uh, this film screen easily detects even very small changes in the baseline cyclic AMP concentration and it gives a pretty good reproducibility, I would actually say an excellent reproducibility. And uh, the biological conclusion of course that G alpha I1 but not G alpha I2 contributes to basal cyclic MP levels in these cells. We are currently optimizing that screen um, by including stimulation of cells. So here we are going to do a screen not just based on, on a single reading but on the time-lapse of readings. Um, and to just see how we set that up, um, here you have the lifetime Trace of individual cells when um, before stimulation and then uh, five minutes after stimulation and ten minutes after stimulation, um, and we just measure about 400 cells or so per condition and just plot the lifetime. Now you can see this is the baseline, this is the stimulated cells. Of course, there's variability and how fast cells react, and this is the calibrated, the high end value done on three individual days and you can see that really the values are like black and white this is an, an awesome uh, uh position to start your uh, your your, your film screen i think um now finally with flim you can do things that you would never even dream of of doing with tcs pc with the, with the leica machine and what we do here is um, image Fred flim in colorectal um, cancer cells in organoids, and you see a stepping from the bottom to the top and then back in these organoids, taking about 70 slices of, um, of, of lifetime images. Uh, the whole acquisition took us about um, in, in the order of a minute and a half. So basically you could also uh, do this for uh, for time-lapse series. So I have to emphasize this was done in, in collaboration with Bas chun who uh, made those organoids? Look at the awesome flimzy cells. And of course, also with organoids you can combine more than one channel. Here we have the same uh, ERK sensor; it's present in the nucleus, right? And the same ERK sensor, but now we combine it with xWort1 for uh, for lifetime imaging and uh, even further redshifted uh, uh, calcium dye. Um, And you can see that basically, within organoids, two individual channels are uh, easily achievable. Okay, so let me wrap that up. Um, What I showed you is that with the Falcon flim method, uh, now the the disadvantages of uh, TCSPC, mostly uh, lack of speed, um, are uh, completely mitigated. We can now go really fast. Uh, the equipment, still, of course, is complicated, but that's inside, right? You, you don't have to bother with that. It, the software and the whole uh, um, microscope is very robust and streamlined. Um, with this system, you can easily do two or even more fret pairs simultaneously. Um, you can do thick scattering preparations, and you can just expand the number of dice you can simultaneously do in your cells. And I think that with this, Type of properties now, this should be very, very suited for routine screening uh, applications. But as I showed you, you you may still have to work a little bit on your threat sensors because there is some gain that you could be uh, getting from, uh, from going with dark acceptance. Take home message then. I think FLIM has finally come of age and now basically should find its way to all of the, uh, the biology labs. This is a really awesome new tool. Uh, it used to be for experts only, but now it's for everyone. Um, lifetime recording with this system is just as easy as switching on another channel. It has state-of-the-art accuracy and precision. And really very important, all of the data are together in a single experiment, and that's very important. In the end, I want to draw your attention for a meeting that we are organizing in Ghent in Belgium in November. That's the International Meeting on Optical Biosensors. If you're interested, so there will be much more about FLIM and FRET and also sensors in this meeting. If you're interested, please visit the website over here. And um, well, that's all I had to say. Thanks for your attention.
1: Okay. Um, thanks, Case. That was an excellent presentation. We've got a few questions from the audience. So um, if anyone else has a question, uh, please feel free to post it in the questions box that appears on the right hand side of your screen. Um, Got a first question here from um, Charlotte. And um, she asks: Case, you mentioned a 30 to 100 fold faster than conventional TC SPC. Um, Leica is more conservative with 10 times. So what's the difference?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, I, I noticed that. I think they have to be conservative. Um, I have to say, I compare my um, results to the systems, the conventional single detector TCSPC systems that were available uh, just a few years ago, right, uh, from two leading suppliers. Um, and so, with those, you had to pulse one in 20, or so get a photon one out of 20 or so uh, of light pulses. Um, in the brightest pixel, and I think this is the, what what like i don 't calculate with because um really, when you had a very bright uh, vesicle, for example with t c s p c you had to make sure that you didn 't have too much photons in that pixel, and so every pixel every other pixel was just way darker than that, so probably all over your image, you never were higher counting higher than fifty or hundred kilohertz or so. And I think that that's the big difference here. We can just uh, adjust the 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 intensity to the average or to the median pixel.
1: Okay, that answers you. your question. Okay, thanks, case. I've got a question here from Ali, and um, they were asking. Um, it's often said that um, FLIM is independent to concentration and photo bleaching. Assuming bleaching as a quenching factor and considering the averaging nature of calculating the fluorescent lifetime, um, can we still neglect the photo bleaching um,
0: <clears throat> I think yes, because as soon as um, as long as we're talking about um, photo bleaching of the donor right um because if you would somehow have photo bleaching of the acceptor, uh, then the whole thing would change a little bit but if if, if we're talking about photo bleaching of the donor. The guys that are bleached, they simply don't count anymore for your measurement. You don't see them. So they would have a different, uh, you know, different uh, photophysical behavior, but it's just not picked up. You just work with the few remaining fluorophores and get the same results out. At least that's the theory. And I know there are some fluorescent proteins that behave a little bit oddly, um, but that has nothing to do with bleaching. It's a photoconversion effect. Is that clear this way?
1: Yeah, yep, that's great. Thank you, Case. Um, I have a question here from uh, Rashid, and um, they were asking, is it possible to explain again how the system is capable of detecting more than one photon per pulse? And does it ensure that we do not bias the result?
0: Um, yeah, um, the, the, um, the observation, uh, the, the basic observation is that we have so much samples Um, as I show in this slide, right, uh, we have so much samples in between any two pulses. So at uh, 80 megahertz, we have 125 samples in in between. At 40 megahertz, we have 250 samples. And so if two photons would come in that are clearly separated, as I show you over here, the the blue bars, I don't know whether you can see my mouse, um, um, these will just be sampled Um, will be a bunch of ones and then a bunch of zeros and then a bunch of ones again, right? So the software can easily detect that these are two individual um, uh, photon events. Only in case that they overlap or largely overlap, we have basically no idea what's happening here. Um, But that is typically, as I explained before, only happening in very bright pixels. And so there we have enough signal anyhow. So I think that with this, you can either choose to uh, to make sure that you still don't have more than one photon I- in per pulse, and then just reject anything that has more than two pulses. But what we typically do is uh, any interval where we can discriminate between two
1: individual photons, we just count. Th-
0: does that make things clear?
1: Yeah, it does. Thank you, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> OK, um, I have a question here from um, Matre and they were asking, um, in all the slides, you showed lifetime values. um, How is this um, exactly calculated? Were they just average lifetimes from the photon arrival times, or were they lifetimes from fitting the curves? And um, in any case, what would you recommend?
0: Uh, That's a good one. If you have a mixed population, uh, let's say part of the molecules are interacting and the other part are not interacting, then you want to go with uh, fitting to at least two different lifetimes and amplitudes. And um, so, in that case, you can actually calculate fractions of molecules that are binding. Um, But most of the uh, images actually we didn't, we just took average because uh, also when we were still playing with TCSPC and with the frequency domain FLIM, we find that uh, typically expressing average lifetime or, or lumped lifetime is more than enough to describe your biological system except uh, when, as i just said except when you want to sort out populations of molecules then then you do the fitting but the fitting is very fast it's it's nowhere uh, comparable to uh, software that we had previously in the lab so basically also uh, as soon as you have the data uh, you can have it fitted
1: okay I have a question here from Adrian, and Adrian asks: um, Leica offers a pulse picker for the WLL to reduce the pulse rate, e.g., to forty um, millihertz. Um, in what circumstances would that be important? A <clears throat>
0: um, um, good question. Um, I think that if you uh, contemplate uh, buying this Falcon uh, hardware, uh, you probably also want to have this pulse picker. Um, it's not necessary for uh, for short lifetimes. It's also not necessary for long lifetimes if you know that there is a single long lifetime because uh, the system is, handles uh, any remaining uh, photons from pulses prior to the current pulse handles it very well. But uh, of course, this goes wrong if you have two lifetimes and then the long lifetime bleeds into the next pulse interval, then you get wrong fraction out. Um, so that means you have to uh, go down in your in your pulse rate. This typically is at uh, lifetimes of roughly um, three and a half, four, five nanoseconds. So you're safe with most of the fluorescent proteins, but not exactly with empty uh, glass, for example. Okay.
1: Um, another question here, this one's from James, and he was asking, um, you described increasing the width of the excitation spectrum with the dark acceptor. Um, don't you have to worry about photo bleaching of the acceptor if the illumination spectrum includes part of the acceptor absorption spectrum?
0: I'm not sure that I understand the question actually. Okay.
1: Okay. Um,
0: Uh, So, so don't I have to worry about photo bleaching? By including, but, but I don't think so because, um, wait a minute. Um, because I'm exciting only the donor, right? So in first instance, the guy who's the the first protein that should be bleaching is the donor. And I'm detecting only the donor, so whatever the acceptor does is immaterial. I I would think this is only a problem if somehow the acceptor starts bleaching, either from uh, cross excitation by the 440 laser Mm-hmm. in which case you probably use way too much laser power or by by maybe uh, bleaching fire fret, but that's that's very uncommon so no I don't worry
1: yeah. in, in okay, okay. Um, I've got a question here from um, John and he was asking um, can you tell us more about the data files how are the data saved I mean they must be quite big files
0: <laughs> yeah um... <clears throat> So you, you can imagine that as Alpha and Beta testing, we also have a lot of, uh, you know, let's say inside things that we still want from, uh, from Leica. Um yeah, you get very, very big files. And so what they save is uh, every arrival time of every photon uh, in relation to its pulse. And so you get uh, for a typical, uh, let's say those calcium experiments, for example, they could easily be uh, 12 gigabytes. So two and a half thousand frames of uh, 256 squared, and then you end up with 12 gigabytes of data. So you have to uh, you have to uh, throw away experiments that you don't want. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this is one of the disadvantages of uh, of a technique like this. Also, TCSPC collects lots and lots of data. But then, um, apart from that, uh, lifetimes are calculated from it. Um, So just the average lifetime is uh, average photon arrival time is always available. When you do a uh, FLIM image fit, you actually get for every uh, lifetime component and for every amplitude, you also get a a separate image. And so then files get even bigger. Um, We are at the moment pestering Leica to to make sure that in the future, we also get somewhat reduced uh, data storage. For example, um, after analysis, you throw away the individual photon arrival times, and that would save you know quite a bit of data.
1: Okay, thank you, Case. Um, I have a question from Dominic this time, and Dominic's asking um, Does the Leica software enable any sort of global analysis fitting routines or just single pixel fitting?
0: Um, I am not sure. It okay. depends a little bit on what you call global analysis, right? So what okay. I can do in the fitting algorithm, I can set, um, I can force two known lifetimes and then ask for percentages of uh, of those two uh, lifetime components. Um, but it's not mentioned as global analysis as such.
1: Right. Okay. Is that clear? I
0: I have to say that I'm not completely sure whether this fully answers the question, but that's what I know about it.
1: Okay, okay, that's great. Thanks, Casey. Um, I have a question here from Andrew, and um, Andrew's asking, rather than the WLL, can a titanium sapphire laser be used to excite in infrared with a pulse picker? Um, For
0: details, please uh, go to your Leica guys, right? Because uh, I can't make any promises. But okay. but the short answer is why not right Every, everything that uh, produces fluorescence that ends up in your scan head can work as a um as a as a flim uh, source so I can't imagine that it is not possible, but please make sure with your like a representative
1: mm-hmm. okay I have a quick question here from Sergi who's asking um can this be done in two p mode
0: um <clears throat> that is two photon right yeah yes that's uh, related to what we just uh, discussed yes this can be done in two f- uh, two photon modes not okay. the problem okay. yes
1: Brilliant. um and then i've got a question here from um from jan um uh, she's asking can you import the data in third party software such as image j uh yes
0: yes still um um I mean, it, it works, um, still the files are really big, so MJ has a little bit of a problem uh, opening them, but that depends on the memory in your computer, right? But uh, no, that, that works nicely. We've tried Imgé, uh, but actually not any other third-party software. Okay,
1: okay. Um, I've got another question here from Trey, and they're asking, um, how does this compare in performance to single-shot flim?
0: Ah, good question. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so, single-shot FLIM, could you—is um, uh, there a possibility that you get this, some additional input from um, from this question asker? Or because I'm not sure which single-shot FLIM uh, they mean. We we published okay. one ourselves a while ago, um, and that's a whitefield technique and as a wide field technique. So uh, on a confocal, you have to do point by point scanning. I would say it's almost always uh, going to be less photon efficient than a wide field technique um, and also a little bit less speedy. Um, But on the other hand, uh, the lifetimes that we get out so the, the, like the figure of merit of this technique is actually quite, of of the Falcon technique is quite a bit better than what we get out of uh, our single shot uh, technique. So unless they mean another technique than the SIFLIM technique we, we published a while ago, um, I would say um, a, a little bit of a different market. Um, yeah. This is the high-end technique, very precise data. The other technique is, uh, yes, a bit a, a bit faster, a bit more photon efficient, but not, not, not near
1: as uh, precise. Okay, yeah, Matryje just clarified that and said it was the one from yourselves, yep.
0: Okay, okay. yeah, okay, thanks.
1: Um, a question here from um, Elizabeth, and she's asking: Are all fret sensors suited for FLIM readout, or there, are, are there any differences for that?
0: Um, oh, that's a that's a very good question, actually. Um, we run into some um, fret sensors that uh, that do excellent uh, ratio measurement, for example, uh, Twitch the calcium sensor, um, and it doesn't do zip at FLIM. Nothing at all. and then we were breaking our heads. How could this be? And I think the only way can be if in a calcium bound uh, conformation, so this is one of those sensors that falls over when calcium binds and then you get efficient threat. I think if threat would be one hundred percent right, then all energy is lost from the uh, from the donor. And the only donors that you still see, so the donors are not emitting anymore, and the only donors that you still see are from those sensors that are not calcium bound. So in this case, the lifetime doesn't change at all. The intensity just drops tremendously because more and more um, donors go to a complete threat. Uh, but basically, FLIM doesn't work. So yes, there, is, there are some, some requirements uh, for FLIM for your FRET for your sensors.
1: Okay, Um, another question here from um, Rashid asking, um, can we have um, WLL and 405 at the same time?
0: Yes, we have it in the lab. Uh, We have 405, 440 and uh, WLL, and uh, that works uh, quite nicely.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, Another question from Matre, um, who's asking, how many photons would one need to distinguish lifetimes with 100 um, picoseconds difference? Ooh la la. <laughs> uh, ooh la, la. <laughs> I have to calculate, right? Um, but from okay, this
0: yeah. table that at some point I showed the table. Uh, here, no, I, 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 I just have to guess here. Okay. Um, I think it is going to be around uh, 2,000 photons or something like that. Okay. Right. Yeah, but that's just a guess. Don't don't uh, kill me if I'm wrong,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> um, question here from Antonio, who's asking, um, can the last software segment cells and export cell average lifetime for every single cell?
0: No, no, <laughs> unfortunately not. This is a, uh, yeah, well, it, it can't do everything and they're still uh, making a lot of new things. But this is something that we urgently need, because the only way to the only reason to go to imagea is to get the data out cell by cell right so you could draw royce with your hand and then calculate all the Roy's and then export that so you can export that but for 250 cells you don't want to do this you just want to export them fully automated uh, yeah so so please also ask ask them to make that then i'm also happy <laughs>
1: Right, we've got um, one final question here from Alexander and uh, asking um, what is the range of lifetimes that, being, that can be recorded with the Falcon?
0: Um, we've done um, the 0.1 nanosecond of uh, Rito SIN, which is uh, actually a calibra- calibration die, right? So at 80 megahertz building. And we have done in the order of three microseconds with the pulsed uh, diode laser, and that's the oxygen sensor. So that's an, that's an awesome uh, range. And I think anything in between can be done. There's no reason uh, why it shouldn't. You just have to lower your pulse rate if the lifetime is too long, mm-hmm. um, but you can go down with at least the diode lasers, you can go down to 300 uh, kilohertz.
1: I said that was last question, but I've just had a final one in from Stephanie, so it's a quick one. Um, and she's asking, what is the output format for the FLIM data? Um, is it in ASCII?
0: Ooh, again, a good question. I, I, I don't know. I think it's uh, CSV and uh, certainly it imports very well in Excel. So I think it's uh, CSV uh, value. Oh, okay. for the, for the, for the ROI average data, right? And Yay. for the uh, FLIM, um, for the FLIM data in image J, we get out um, floating point data.
1: Okay. Great. Okay. Thank you very much, Case. Um okay. So um, that brings us to the end of the seminar. Um, thanks again, Case, for a, a very illuminating presentation and a great discussion. I really enjoyed that. And thanks also to our sponsor, Leica Microsystems. Okay. And finally. Thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. If you've enjoyed the seminar and would like to view the video recording of the session, please visit the seminars page on bitesizebio.com. It should be available within the next 24 hours. There you can also see other webinars we have lined up for you in Bitesize Bio's webinar festival. So until next time, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Leica Microsystems and Bitesize Bio. Okay, bye bye
0: bye thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed the webinar to view the full video version of this and all of our other webinars please visit bitesizebio.com slash webinars Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for mentors at your bench site in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.